Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two stories from Orson Welles, The Black Museum. Enjoy. This is Orson Welles speaking from London. grim stone structure in the Thames which houses Scotland Yard is a warehouse of souvenirs. A warehouse where everyday objects, a hammer, a suitcase, a shirt button, all are touched by murder. You take this canvas bag. This canvas bag might give us a liter. Uh, what's that writing on it, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton. Now, today, that canvas bag can be seen in the Black Museum. of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. Well, here we are in the Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Yes, here lies death. All the ways and means of death. Guns, of course, abound in plenty, but there are other simpler objects, things that were never meant for murder. Now, this gold trophy. A famous sportsman climaxed a great career by winning this. Later, it was an exhibit in his trial. It was proved he had used it to batter a man to death. Here's a knitting needle. Perhaps used to knit for absent friends, for children not yet born. And it was put to more lethal use. To end a life. Ah, here we are. Here's the canvas bag. It was once a bag used to hold provisions in a Northampton grocery store. Later on, it became more famous, but we anticipate. Let's begin the story not with a canvas bag, but with a certain young woman who at her home in Birmingham was packing her suitcases. Here's another dress, Mary. Oh, thanks, Mother. And your slippers. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that must be all. Let's just have another look round. You don't want to forget anything. No, that's right. Oh, here you are, just as well I looked. Some stockings. Oh. Well, I, I think that's all. Yes. I'll just lock my suitcase. Mary? What, Mother? Are you sure you'll be all right? No, of course. Oh, it seems such a strange arrangement, you going all the way to London alone. But what's strange about it? Tom's working in London, saving for our passages to Canada. He can't come to fetch me. But travel all that way alone. Oh, Mary, let me come with you. No, Mother. I'm not a child. You're an almost married woman, but that doesn't mean your mother still can't worry about oh, you. Oh, Mother, really? Well, Look, I'll be perfectly all right. Tom and I are... are getting married when I reach London. 
A month later, we'll be on our way to Canada. And we'll lose you. It's so sad. You'll write as soon as you reach London, won't you, darling? Yes, of course I will. And don't worry, please. I'll be all right. A girl leaving home to get married, an anxious mother. Nothing very new about that. Except that the girl never went to London. The following day, her train arrived in Northampton, where she was tenderly greeted by a charming man, some years older than herself. Hello. Hello. Here I am, Mary. Oh. My dear Mary. Oh, darling. I've been waiting here for, for a moment. I thought you... What, that I might have deserted you? <laughs> Hardly, my sweet. Did you have much trouble with your family? Yes, a little. Dad was anxious, and, uh -huh. and you know what Mother is. She worries terribly. Yes. You you told them the story about meeting Tom in London. Uh-huh. And they believed it. Oh, good. Oh, darling, it's wonderful to be with you. <laughs> um, come, Mary. I, I found lodgings in St. John Street. Oh, good. But listen, since you've told your parents you were meeting Tom Reynolds in London, we well, might as well continue the deception, eh? How? Well, to the landlady, you'll be Mrs. Reynolds. And I, of course, shall be Mr. Reynolds. It might be better if you called me Tom. The landlady found Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds a charming couple, so devoted, so very much in love. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm Mr. Reynolds. I wrote to you about a room. Oh. Yes, Mr. Reynolds. I was expecting you today, just like you said in the letter. <laughs> and this is my wife, Mary. Uh, pleased to meet you, Mrs. Reynolds. I expect you'd like to see the room right away. Yes, I, I would. Well, if you'll just follow me, there's only one flight of stairs. Let me carry the bag, dear. It's too heavy for you. All right. Have you uh, any idea how long you'll be staying, Mr. Reynolds? Well, I can't tell you at the moment. It, it depends on circumstances, doesn't it, sweetheart? Ah. Yes, dear. Why, it's Mr. Reynolds. I didn't know it was so late. Well, my wife's asleep, Mrs. Marsh. I thought I'd just pop in to tell you that we're leaving next week. Leaving? Uh-huh. Well, isn't that rather unexpected? I was talking to Mrs. Reynolds only yesterday, and she said... Yes, she... but you see, I've had some news from friends of mine in Canada. In Canada? Yes. We're going to Canada, Mrs. Marsh. Oh? We're leaving from Liverpool next week. Oh! That will be nice for you, Mr. Reynolds, and for your sweet wife, too. Yes. Oh, but there is one other thing. Huh? I'd be very glad if you wouldn't say anything of this to my wife. You see, she's not quite sure that she really wants to go to Canada, and, well, I think it'll only upset her if anyone talks to her oh, about it. Oh, of course. I, I, I wouldn't breathe a word, particularly since you've asked me not to. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mrs. Marsh. We'll be giving up our room on Friday. Uh -huh. I'll arrange for a car to call for the luggage early in the day. So considerate, the landlady thought. Such a gentleman. On Friday morning, she said goodbye to the couple with reluctance. At least she said goodbye to Mr. Reynolds, who explained that his wife had gone ahead to the railway station. But even the nicest of lodgers are only a passing memory in a landlady's mind. And she might never have thought of the young couple again if it hadn't been for the events that occurred some weeks afterwards. On the high road from Rugby to Northampton, two men were walking home after work. 
Uh, well, Bert, uh, what do you think of the team's chances on Saturday? <laughs> They're wanted to be better than last week, eh, Sam? Yeah, I should say so. <laughs> hey, hey, look down there in the ditch beside the road. What do you see? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, it looks like a canvas bag. Ah, well, there's something inside it. Ah, well, what's that all over it? Lime, isn't it? Oh, probably a dead dog. Come on, I'll buy you a pint. Yeah. Hey, 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 ain't no dead dog. Bert, look, will you? An arm. I can see it plain. Oh, crikey. Come on, Sam. Huh? This is for the police. The local police recovered the body and Scotland Yard was summoned. Inspector Courtney, accompanied by Detective Sergeant Finlay, arrived in Northampton. They met the doctor who had conducted the post-mortem. The body was that of a woman, Inspector. Have you um, any idea of her age, Doctor? Youngish. I'd say in her twenties. In height, a little over five feet. Slight build. And in uh, what state was the body? Dismembered and partially decomposed. And the uh, cause of death? Have you any idea about that? There's no way of telling, Inspector. The only thing you can take for granted is that she was murdered. The yard men had the dual task there. They had to track down the murderer, but first and foremost, they had to find out who had been murdered. They set out to examine the evidence. This canvas bag might give us a liter. Uh, yes. Uh, now, what's that writing on it, Sergeant? It's the name of a local merchant, J. Gregory, Northampton. Yes, the name's clear enough, uh... Luckily, the lime didn't rot it away. As I'd say it was meant to, sir. Yes, I'd say so too, Sergeant. I think we'll call on Mr. Gregory. Was this a lucky break early in a difficult case? It seemed not. For when the London detectives interviewed J. Gregory in his Northampton warehouse, the merchant could give them little help. Yes, uh, it's my bag, all right, Inspector. No mistaking that, but how did it get in there? Well, we, uh, we thought you might be able to tell us that. Well, I assure you I can't. These canvas bags are used for transporting groceries between this warehouse and my several shops in the town. And they're, uh, what, uh, handled by your employees? Yes. Are they ever given out to the public? Oh, no, they're not. Were you aware that one was missing? Well, <laughs> well hardly, Inspector. I have upwards of a hundred of these bags and a, a lot more to do than count them. Yes, yes, of course, yes. But now, you understand the gravity of this situation. Yes. A woman has been found dead. Murdered. Murdered? Her body wrapped in one of your bags. Inspector, I, I can only assure you I know nothing whatever about it. At this stage, Mr. Gregory, not knowing the identity of the murdered woman, the bag is our only clue. Now, you do appreciate that. Yes, yes, of course. Sir, that I'd like to talk to one of your employees who might have handled these bags and who might have been in the position to take one or even give one to somebody else. Inspector, I'll see to it my staff are available Thanks. for you. As a matter of fact, you can begin with my warehouse manager, my own brother. Oh, yes, thank you, yes. Uh, wait, I I'll get him. George? Huh? George, uh, come here, will you? Presently, the obliging Mr. Gregory returned with his brother, the warehouse manager. He, too, was courteous and polite to the detectives, and only too ready to answer the questions they asked him. Now, um, uh, where do you live, Mr. Gregory? In Birmingham, 7 High Street, Birmingham. And uh, are you married? Yes, wife and 
and two children. And you live at home? Well, sometimes I stay here at the warehouse. You know, because of the distance involved in travel, you understand? Oh, yes, perfectly, perfectly. Now, tell me, have you ever lent or given anyone outside the firm one of these canvas bags? Well, I don't like to mention it, but... Well, uh, go on, George. Tell the inspector whatever he wants to know. Did you give away one of these bags? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did, John. I, I know it was against regulations, but... Well, a tramp came in one day asking for some scraps of food and... Yes, and... Well, uh, I felt sorry for him, you know how it is. Yes, quite, quite. I gave him a couple of tins and well, a canvas bag to carry them in. Sorry, John, but that was the only occasion I have given one away. Now, could you tell me how long ago would this have been? Oh, well, I suppose about six weeks, perhaps a bit longer. I'm afraid I can't remember the exact date. Well, thanks very much, Mr. Gregor. I... I... I don't suppose you can help us in this matter of the murdered woman. I mean, you've no idea who it might be. Well, I, none whatsoever, Inspector. I'm sorry. Well, thank you very much indeed, gentlemen. Good day to you. Good day. The inspector left the warehouse deeply disappointed. It seems that the trail led nowhere. For the inspector believed this story of the tramp that George Gregory had told him. There's no reason why he should not have believed it. But today... Evidence that proved the lie can be seen in the Black Museum. There are hundreds of women reported missing every year throughout England. Now to the local police stations throughout the land, the messages went out in a long and slow search to find the identity of the murdered woman. Desire information on any woman reported missing within past two months. Special attention to young woman about five feet in height of slight build, well-dressed. In answer to your inquiry, we've checked all missing persons approximating to the description given in the Glasgow area during the last two months. There are three missing persons whose descriptions might fit the one given, and further investigation is being made in each case. I shall report further within the next seven days. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, this is Scotland Yard. Uh, we've been looking into your inquiry, and we find that in the London area there are 27 cases of missing persons. Uh, that would seem to justify investigation in relation to your inquiry. Uh, from preliminary inquiries, 13 of these cases can already be discounted. On the remainder, uh, further inquiries are still being made. Uh, we'll be in touch with you later, sir. Goodbye. The reports came flooding into Scotland Yard. The leads faithfully followed. Dead ends, all of them. The investigation into murder was bogged down because nobody knew who had been murdered. Here's another one, Inspector. People by the name of Wilson in Birmingham. Worried about their daughter. Oh, I never knew there were so many youngsters who run away from home. Well, still have it checked, Sergeant. Right, sir. Another patient inquiry begins. When did your daughter leave home? Where was she going? Have you heard from her? The questions were asked, the answers were written down, and the result was sent to Scotland Yard. Hmm. Hmm. Wilson, yes. Uh, number 9 High Street, Birmingham. Left for London to marry a young man named uh, Tom Reynolds. Seems like she didn't get there, sir. Yeah. 
The family had a letter from Reynolds, just a sort of friendly note, no mention of the girl. I understand young Reynolds went to Canada, sir. He was once engaged to the girl, but they broke it off. Oh, yes. The next thing, when he was in London, the girl had a letter from him asking her to marry him and go out to Canada. Yes, but did the family see the letter? No. It was all pretty hurried. They were upset, but she seemed to be able to get her own way. Oh, I've heard this kind of thing before. Now, I wonder who the man was. Not Tom Reynolds, that's certain. His letter to the family is enclosed there, sir. Oh, let's see it, Riff. Yes, wait a minute. Now, rough crossing. How is everyone? Missmill, neighbors. No, no, no. He doesn't mention her. Now, what was her name? Mary, sir. Mary Wilson, mm -hmm. 9 High Street, Birmingham. Sergeant, Sergeant, that seems familiar. To me too, sir. I can't quite place wait it, Wait a minute, wait a minute, I've got it. What, Inspector? Uh, George Gregory, that warehouse manager. His address is 7 High Street, Birmingham. Number 7? Well, that means he lives next door. Patience had paid off again. Careful and painstaking methods had given them a new lead, or rather, the renewal of an old lead. For the canvas bag had first led them to the Gregory warehouse. The detectives went back to Northampton, back to interview George Gregory. Mary Wilson, Inspector? Well, of course I knew Mary Wilson. Now, uh, tell me, when did you last see her, Mr. Gregory? Oh, some time ago. She went to Canada, you know. She, she married a young chap named Reynolds. Yes, but uh, did she marry him? Well, to the best of my knowledge, she did. You said I knew Mary Wilson. Mm -hmm. By the past tense. I don't know. Well, don't you always use the past tense when you're not likely to see a person again? Oh, you don't think you'll see her again? Well, Inspector, with her married and living in Canada, that'd hardly be likely, Inspector. George Gregory seemed at ease. His answers rang true. It could be nothing but a strange coincidence. Inspector Courtney gave certain instructions. I want a cable sent to Tom Reynolds in Canada. Find out if he married Mary Wilson or not. The odds are he's still single. Then Courtney went to Birmingham, to number nine High Street, where he talked to Mary's mother. I, uh, I don't want to alarm you, Mrs. Wilson, but I'm from Scotland Yard and I want to make certain inquiries. Scotland Yard? Oh, my Mary's done nothing wrong, has she? Of course not, no, no. Now, tell me, Mrs. Wilson, do you really think your daughter might have gone to Canada with her young man? Oh, I don't know what to think, sir. I was always puzzled. I mean, I mean the, the way she seemed to patch things up with Tom. Yes, uh... Uh, did you question that? No, I didn't say much. I was glad, really. About her marrying the young man? Yes. Well, you see, for a while I was worried there was another man she seemed to like. But too much, if you know what I mean. Oh, you uh, disapproved? Oh, Mary was never one to take criticism, but I didn't like it, I can tell you. Was the uh, other man older? He was, old enough to know better. Him with a wife and two children of his own. I tell you, I was relieved when I thought Mary was going away to marry Tom Reynolds. Now, there's one more question I must ask you, ma'am. Yes, Inspector? The name of this attentive gentleman. Well, I, I don't like to make anything of it in mind. Uh, no, but uh, I'd uh, like to know his name. Well, he happens to live next door, and his name is George Gregory. We've had a reply to your Canada cable, sir. 
Okay, Sergeant, go ahead and read it. Tom Reynolds is living in Ottawa. He's a bachelor. Last time he saw Mary Wilson was in Birmingham, three months ago. What about his letter from London? There was no letter from London. It was beginning to add up. Point by point, link by link, a chain of circumstantial evidence was being forged. Forged by the patient police. I think he's our man, Sergeant. And imagine it, sir. He's been here under our noses since the very first clue you picked up. Yes, the canvas bag led us right to him. But we haven't tied it up yet. What's the next move, sir? Mary Wilson left for London to meet Reynolds. Or so it seems she told her parents. Yes, it seems more than likely, sir, that they came here. So they must have lived somewhere, she and the man she met. Now the detectives went through the town, front streets and back streets, fashionable hotels and cheap boarding houses. They went wherever there was a sign, rooms to let. Well? We're from Scotland Yard, ma'am. We're inquiring about a young couple who might have stayed here some, oh, six weeks to two months ago. No, not here. Only tech regulars. Had all my boarders for the past 12 months. Thank you, ma'am. Sorry to have troubled you. They ran the whole gamut of landladies. The suspicious landladies, the mean, the garrulous landladies, the kind, the generous, the curious. Then in a lodging house in St. John Street, their work paid off. A young couple? Yes, I've had a few. What was their name? We're not sure what name they might have been using. Oh, you mean Kroops. Well, let me see. Oh, it couldn't have been that nice young couple, Mr. and Mrs. Reynolds. Now, it What was that name? Reynolds. Uh, Tom Reynolds? Yes, I believe it was. Such a nice man. Oh, and his young wife was named Mary. She was awfully sweet. Uh, Mrs. Marsh... Can you give me a description of Mary Reynolds? Why, yes, I think so. Short, uh, about five feet tall, brown mm -hmm. hair, rather pretty. Yes. Not much help, I'm afraid. I can't remember any other details. Oh, you helped a lot, thanks. And the man? Tall, dark hair, and a small mole on his left cheek, older than her. Uh. Oh, but he was very nice indeed. Oh, surely they couldn't have done anything wrong. Uh, uh, Mrs. Marsh... Uh, can you, I want to attend the police station tomorrow morning at ten. Me? Why, sir? Uh, well, we'll be having an identification parade at ten sharp. Yes, sir. Uh, All right, uh, quiet, everyone. Uh, I've got together a group of eight people, Inspector. Uh, thank you, Sergeant. Uh, Mrs. Marsh... I want you to try and identify the man you knew as Tom Reynolds. All right, Inspector, but really, I know we and his wife went to Canada. Nevertheless, if you don't mind, just walk slowly down the line and examine each man. Eight men. A couple of detectives, two men taken out of the cells, one recruited off the street, and in the middle of them, a protesting, indignant George Gregory. It's not this man. No, this. No, not him either. Why, Mr. Reynolds! Gregory, grab him, man! I got it! Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were enough policemen present to overpower the hastily departing Mr. Gregory, who was immediately arrested on a charge of having murdered Mary Wilson. Today, the evidence that brought about his downfall. The canvas bag that first directed police attention to him occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum.
George Gregory killed the woman, he said, because she was too much in love with him to let him go, but he couldn't afford the scandal that might arise if he continued his association with her. Not a very nice reason, but then the reason for murder seldom are. Anyway, George Gregory was tried and convicted and paid for his crime one morning at 8 o'clock. And now, until we meet next time in this same place for another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obediently yours. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. of death. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames which houses Scotland Yard is a warehouse of homicide where everyday objects, a pin, a garden hose, a handbag, all are touched by murder. Here's a car tire. There were three others all attached to a sedan. They were removed. Great Scott, Inspector. Uh, those vandals, they, they've stripped the car of everything. Even the four tires, sir. There's nothing left except evidence. Now, today, one of those tires, the one that became a vital clue in the case, can be seen in the Black Museum. <laughs> of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. Well, here we are. Black Museum, Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. And here lies death. On the shelves, around the walls, death in many disguises. Here's a length of electric wiring. The protective insulation has been stripped away. The man touched it. He died. The jury found it was murder. Here's a card. Invitation to a party. The invitation was accepted. Death was the end of that. Right, here's the tire. It's an ordinary car tire. Once it belonged to a sedan that stood in a garage at South End. On a certain night some years ago, two men entered the garage quietly after first forcing the lock. There we are, Ted. Good work, Harry. Look at her. Ben spoking you. And she's ours once we get her out of the garage. Ah, uh, quietly does it. I'll take up the brake. Right. We'll push her out in the street and down the road a bit. Okay, I'm ready. The object of this stealthy midnight visit was a new car. The two men pushed the automobile down the slope of the road, jumping in when the car began to gather speed. 
Oh, Johnny, get in. Oh, nice going. Get us, Scotty, Ted. Right. Not a sound behind us. We got away with it. Oh, it was easy. By morning, we'll have everything we want off this car. Tires, spare parts, the seat. And then we'll ditch what's left, eh? We'll make our fortune this way, Addy, my boy. Sounds easy money. It is. Come on, I'll show you what this car can do. Flat out! A car travelling fast along the road to Eastwood. Its twin lights cutting beams in the darkness of the night. And a policeman cycling homeward. Hello? What's that up there, eh? What? A man in the centre of the road. Oh, wait till our lights pick him up clearly. It's a... It's a cop. Oh, and he's got his hand up, signalling us to stop. Okay. You don't think... What, the words got out this car's been pinched? Not a chance. Then what's this copper doing? Oh, might want to lift down. You never know. There's his bike at the side of the road. Ted, I don't like Take this. it easy, will you? I'll bluff our way out. If he makes trouble, I can handle him. Well, go easy on using that gun. Leave it to me. Good evening, Constable. Anything the matter? I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have to ask you not to speed like that along this road, sir. Were we speeding? Well, I, I think you know you were, sir, you know. There's been a number of serious accidents around here lately. Oh, dear. Now, may I see your license? My, my license? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, funny thing, I'm afraid I don't have it on me, Constable. Then I'll have to request some other means of identification, sir. Well, I, uh... You know, I haven't anything on me at all. Well, where are you going, sir, and uh, where have you come from? Well, we, uh, we're just driving. Hmm. Is the car yours? No, Constable. The car belongs to me. Oh, I see, sir. Then, uh, would you tell me its number? It's on the front of the car, if you want to see it. I know the number, but do you? Well, well no, not offhand. As I thought, sir. This is a stolen car. Stolen? You'd both better get out. Now, come on. I'll have to take down some particulars. Yeah, yeah. What makes you think you can order us around, eh? Get out, I said. Come on. I want your name. And put that gun away. Say your prayers, copper. Give me that gun. Don't let him take it, Ted. I won't. Don't worry. You ask for trouble, copper, you're going to get it. You guard! away. A man lies dead on the roadway. A murder has been committed. Murder of a policeman. Lovely morning, George. You wouldn't think it to read a morning paper, Tom. Nothing in it but crime. Ah, you won't find much crime round these parts. Here, what's the matter with your dog? Oh, he seems to have found something ahead there. Well, it's not like him to get that excited. What's the matter with him? 
Yeah, wait a minute, George. Huh? Unless I'm mistaken, it ain't only in the morning papers you'll find crime. What do you mean? Well, ahead there. Yeah? Over by the side of the road. It looks like a man. So okay. Come on. Why, it's Charlie Acker. He's dead. By morning, Scotland Yard was represented the scene of the crime by Inspector Clancy and Detective Sergeant Redding. He was shot three times, Redding. Nasty business, sir. Oh, here's a notebook lying on the ground beside him. Yes, and he was holding a pencil in his right hand. Well, that seems fairly straightforward, sir. He was about to take down some particulars from a person or persons whom he'd met. Uh, the evidence suggests that, Sergeant. But wait a minute, Inspector. His torch is here in his pocket. Is it? And there's no street lighting nearby. How could he have been writing? Mm, by the light of a vehicle, presumably. Of course, sir. Either the headlights or the interior lighting of a car or a truck. More likely the interior lighting, don't you think, Inspector? Well, we'll work on that assumption first. Which means it was a car. Uh, yeah, there are some tracks here. You can see the skid marks. Now, they might be caused by a car starting fairly fast. I want those tracks photographed. The photographs were duly sent to certain experts at Scotland Yard, and a report came back to Inspector Clancy. Report from the yard, sir. Yes, Sergeant Redding? Those tracks were made by an Evans car. An Evans, eh? Get a full list of all stolen cars within a 50-mile radius. We'll see if there was an Evans amongst them. There were two. One was found. Inspector Crancy interviewed the owner of the other. Yes, it was uh, taken the night before last, Inspector. Uh, some bounder picked the lock of my garage and got away with the car. I'll get a full description from you, sir. Uh, certainly, uh, but uh, I say, I say, the uh, Scotland Yard doesn't usually go chasing stolen cars, does it? Not usually, eh, Colonel Fentress? Oh, uh, there's something else behind it, is there? Oh, excuse me a moment. <laughs> Hello, hello, Fentress speaking. Uh, oh, yes, 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 uh, just a moment. Uh, it's for you, Inspector. Thank you, sir. Hello? Yes, Redding? At Rayleigh. I see. Yes, yes, I'll come down right away. Oh, um, um, uh, something happened, Inspector? An Evans car's been found, sir, abandoned in a ditch outside Rayleigh. A new Evans. Index mark TW6120. Uh, but, but, but that's mine, Major. Then you'd better come along, sir. They found the car, the police going over it for fingerprints. Curious crowd gathered around it. It was a vastly different car from the one Colonel Fentress had locked in his garage two nights earlier. Great Scott, Inspector, those vandals, they've Stripped the car of everything. Even the four tires. There's nothing left. Except evidence. What do you mean, Inspector? This was the car concerned in the murder of Constable Hacker on Eastwood Road. My car? Concerned in that killing? Come with me, Colonel. I'll show you the evidence to prove it. That car is the first link in a long chain at the end of which is the murderer. And a further link is the missing four tires, one of which became the vital clue in the case. That tire can be seen today 
in the Black Museum. outside Rayleigh. You can see for yourself, Colonel Fentress, on the running board. Uh, a dark stain there. It's blood? Yes, it's blood. And see this? Uh, oh, a spent cartridge case. It was found on the floor of the car. Then my car was concerned in that poor fellow's murder? We'll make confirmatory tests, of course. The bloodstain will be checked against the constable's grouping and the cartridge case will go to ballistics. These routine checks must be carried out. But Colonel Fentress knew and Inspector Clancy knew that the driver of the stolen car had taken part in the policeman's murder. And knowing this, the inspector was able to reconstruct the crime. We don't know why Constable Hacker pulled the car up, Sergeant. He was cycling home. Perhaps the Evans car was speeding. Well, whatever the reason, he called on it to halt. And in the process of questioning, he came to realize the car was stolen. He'd have brought out his notebook and pencil to take down some particulars, sir. And for doing that, he was killed. The picture of the crime was clear, but now, how to find the driver of the car? Nothing was known about him. There were no eyewitnesses. <laughs> One man had seen the driver, and he was dead. Why would they begin searching? We'll begin right here at the car, Sergeant. It, it's funny about those tires, sir. Very funny. But not only the tires are missing. No, the toolkit's been taken, and the jack, and most of the spare parts. The windscreen wiper's been removed, so the headlamps and the car radio Colonel Fentress had installed. Vandalism, sir? Well, if it was vandalism, it was well planned, Sergeant. Yeah. Now, there are lorry tracks over there. The stuff was loaded on and driven away. Car stealing, sir, for spare parts and tires. A very profitable pastime. Now, what was taken out of this car would probably be worth from two, three hundred pounds on the second-hand market. Black market, sir, for the tires. I wonder who handles second-hand parts and tires around this district. Come on. Where to, Inspector? The nearest garage. <laughs> found a garage less than half a mile away. The proprietor, reassured that he was not under suspicion, proved to be helpful. Spare parts and tires. Quite a few places around here who handles them, Inspector. Uh, could you list them for us, sir? Certainly. Come into the office. There were six names on that list. Six visits to make. Sergeant Redding made them, posing as a driver in search of new tires. Oh, good morning. I need four new tires for an Evans car. Can you help me out? Williams and Sons were sorry. They hadn't had any tires to sell for months past. Field and Company said the same thing. So did Hammond and Barden, Kennedy and Sons. Then Sergeant Redding paid his last visit. The sixth name on the list. A small motor workshop on the road out of Eastwood 
Her car was being overhauled by a mechanic. A lorry stood on a vacant block of land beside the workshop. A sign at the front of the building said, Randolph and Burns, motor engineers and spare parts. Yes, sir? Oh, I need four new tires for an Evans car. Can you help me out? An Evans? Do you own an Evans car? Oh, not me, chum, no. That's for the governor. I've been everywhere trying to get these tires. Well, you know, I might be able to set you up. Of course, they're in short supply. We'll pay whatever you ask for them. Okay. Jerry! Oh, Jerry! Here a minute, will you? What is it? Fellow here wants to buy some Evans tyres. Huh? Chauffeur, aren't you, mate? Yeah, that's right. Well, you can set him up, can't we? No, we can't. But, Ted, he'll pay the right I price. tell you, we can't. We can't set him. Now, can we, when we haven't seen an Evans tyre in months? But, Ted... People just don't bring us second-hand tyres anymore, mister. Sorry. <laughs> Sergeant went out, went back to where Inspector Clancy was waiting for his report. Something he'd seen deep in the eyes of the man called Ted told him the search was at an end. I don't know what spoiled it, Inspector. Perhaps he recognized me. Perhaps he was just being cautious. You say the other man was ready to sell you the tires? Ready and willing, sir. I think they're the ones we want. I'm almost sure of it. All right, we'll make some further inquiries about them both. Uh, first of all, their uh, business registration. We'll get their full names from that. The business records office holds many secrets. The directors of England's leading companies, the balance of power and mighty industrial concerns. It also lists the many thousands of small businesses, companies, partnerships, sole traders, their trade and management personnel. Uh, here we are, Sergeant. Randolph and Burns, motor engineers, Eastwood. Partners Edward Burns. Oh, that'll be your friend Ted. And Harold Randolph, probably the other man I spoke to. Well, take a note of their names. We'll see if the method index section knows them. The method index section at Scotland Yard. That's a vast room of records. The walls are lined solidly with filing cabinets. Here are the details of all the crimes, from murder to petty theft. Here are the names and the aliases of all the criminals ever convicted in any English court. Filed and cross-filed for easy checking. Uh, those two men you asked me to check, Inspector Clancy. Find anything on them, Severs? There's no record for Harold Randolph. What about the other one? Burns, yes, we know him. Ted Burns, motor mechanic, four convictions. The first uh, from my hometown, funnily enough, Oxford City Police Court. The charge? Uh, stealing a motor car. And what were the other three charges, Evers? All connected with motor theft, sir. Uh -huh. uh, one was for removing spare parts from parked vehicles. Another time he was convicted for selling a stolen car. That's all I want. Very Thank good, you, Evers. Inspector Clancy and Sergeant Redding drove back to Eastwood. On the road there, about 50 yards from the motor workshop, they waited. They saw two mechanics leave at 5.30 on their way home. Then, a few minutes later... There he is, Inspector. That's Harry Randolph. And he's alone. 
was a very peaceful scene. The casual passerby would have noticed a dark sedan slowing down beside a thick-set man in overalls. Mr. Randolph? Yeah? Oh, it's you. Still after them tars, eh? In a manner of speaking, sir. This is Inspector Clancy from Scotland Yard. Scotland Yard? Get in, Mr. Randolph. Uh, not me, Inspector. Now, you've got nothing against me. On the contrary, we have a great deal against you. Get in. Randolph was defiant at first, but when the advantages of turning King's evidence were pointed out to him, he became almost verbose. It wasn't me who thought of the scheme. I, I was talked into it by him. The scheme being to steal cars, sell their spare parts and tires, and abandon them? Yeah. Ted said we couldn't get enough parts and tires to stay in business otherwise. He talked me into helping him to pinch the Evans. Well, go on. Well, everything was sweet, and then on the way back to Eastwood, the cop signals us to stop. Tells us we were speeding. He'd have got our names and all. So you shot him dead. Uh, I, I didn't do it. Ted shot him. The gun's hidden in the desk down at our works. His fingerprints will be on it. I told him not to shoot. He, he wouldn't listen. We took the lorry down and got everything we could from the car and brought it back. And where is that stuff now? Well, some of it we sold, and three of the tires went off late today. I would have sold a lot of the copper here, but Ted was wise to him. He, he can smell coppers. Three were sold. Then one tire is left on the premises? Yeah. But listen, won't you? I, I, I might have helped a pinch the car, but I'd nothing to do with the murder. Ted did that. He shot a copper! <laughs> A report on the tyre we found on the premises, sir. It comes from an Evans car, all right, and matches the tracks near Constable Hacker's body. Then our case is complete, Sergeant. The gun was found, the fingerprints on the wheel rims belong to Randolph and Burns, and now the tyre. All right, Randolph, you've one more chance to help us. Where's Burns? Oh. Come on, you must have some idea. Right. But you've got to look after me. I'm not promising anything. Where's Burns? He's trying to get away overseas. I, I, I think he was heading for Liverpool. He was always talking about a pal of his who was a ship's mate. Can you remember the name of the ship? Oh, I, I, I think it was called the Briar Rose. <laughs> I have reason to believe your name is Ted Burns. Ted what? <laughs> you got the wrong man, Sam. I don't think so, Mr. Burns. I have here a warrant for your arrest on a charge of murder. Hey, you got nothing on me? You got no evidence? Oh, yes, we have, Mr. Burns. All the evidence we need. 
And today, that tire occupies a place in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment. The murder of Constable Hacker on the lonely Eastwood Road was solved by the patient methods of Scotland Yard and by the talking of Harry Randolph, whose verbosity put him behind bars for many years to come and brought his unholy friend Ted Burns to the last walk the end of a rope one morning at 8 o'clock. A crook's plan misfired into murder. And neither Burns nor Randolph had the talent for outwitting the men of the yard. So it was that another chapter of murder was closed. Another record added to the method index section. And another exhibit, the car tire, was added to the Black Museum. And now until we meet next time in the same place and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain as always obediently yours. This program was transcribed in 1951 and broadcast to the U.S. in 1952 on Mutual Radio Network. More than 500 of the network stations carried it. Orson Welles was both host and narrator of stories of horror and mystery based on Scotland Yard's collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases. If you enjoy the Black Museum and want to hear more episodes, let me know through a review. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.